Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 104th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is metadata, still a pain point for lawyers. And before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to CloudMask, which offers cost-effective and efficient data encryption for law firms. Whether large or small, in Google Apps, Office 365, and other cloud solutions. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at cloudmask.com. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And to discuss this particular pain point, we are very pleased to have as our guest Donna Payne. Donna is the CEO and founder of Payne Group based in Seattle, Washington. She is an author, columnist, and frequent speaker on the subjects of privacy, metadata, leadership, and STEM. She has spoken worldwide as well as to security agencies and Congress on the subject of metadata. Thanks for joining us today, Donna. And thanks for having me, Jim and Sharon. It's definitely a pleasure to be here with you today to talk about the pain points of metadata, no pun intended, or pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Donna, I kind of think you're royalty because I have always thought of you as the queen of metadata. (laughs) You you were the first to jump into this metadata removal arena. What prompted you to do that? It's funny. um, I almost named my twins Meta and Data, so I kind of feel that way. (laughs) But... um, Candidly, back in 1998, our attorney, we were, we were a new company. We were sending out, we had these new products that we wanted to get out to market. And one of the things that we were doing is working with a law firm to get our product contracts out. And one day we received a contract. I opened it up and bam, there were probably several years worth of changes that had happened in that document because the firm had used it as a go-by document for other software companies. So that was a real eye-opener, I mean, for, for everybody concerned. Track change is coming back. You know, it's amazing. And somehow that file had been corrupted and all previous versions were made visible. So we took this and thought, there's got to be something that we can do about it. So we developed a product called Metadata Assistant, and back then it was free. It was free. We were happy. We were sending it out to people and just using it more as a tool to help educate people and to protect lawyers. And then um, the Wall Street Journal heard about us, and they wrote about us on the front page of their uh, newspaper, and 150,000 people downloaded the software. 
And I guess it was in conjunction with some kind of a political scandal with um, metadata that had come back in a document or something. And so they wrote about us, put us up there, and so many people downloaded the software and they wanted customizations and support for it that we ended up having to hire a lot of people. So that was 18 years ago, believe it or not. Wow, how time flies when we're having fun, right? (laughs) So 18 years ago, do lawyers today have to worry about the same types of metadata as what existed back then? Jim, that's a great question. Um, The answer is yes and no. Okay, so there's not last 10 authors. Back in the, in the earlier days of, of using Microsoft Word, for example, you could choose File Open and choose a file type as Open and Recover Text from Any File, and it would bring back and display the last 10 authors who touched the document and the file name and path where the document was stored. That was huge, especially because lawyers travel with their documents. So that metadata is gone, so that's a great thing. But there are new metadata types that you have to be aware of, and there's user-defined metadata in addition to the application and system metadata that we have to be aware of. And there's a lot of generalization of metadata types, so I just want to give a couple of examples of things that you have to watch out for. Track changes, comments, those are kind of the obvious things. Hidden text. It's so easy. I got a document today from someone, and I was opening it up and ready to, to attach it to an email and thought, oh, I better check something. I found out that that document had lots of track changes residual in it, even though I hadn't made any myself. So that can happen, or speaker notes in your PowerPoint file. And your Excel workbook can have lots of metadata, like your hidden rows and hidden columns or pivot tables. And there's a special little award for metadata in Excel that I want to kind of give a call out to. If you format the cell's contents in an Excel spreadsheet with three semicolons, I know, pretty obscure, right? But three semicolons as the format, it makes the cell contents invisible. But if you click in that cell, the formula bar shows the invisible contents. So there's a lot of things that we really have to worry about now. Wow. That is obscure. And, of course, you get rid of all of that, right, with your programs. Yes, that's right. (laughs) I was pretty sure that was true, or I wouldn't have asked. (laughs) I'm so glad the answer was yes. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't have a specialized software program, are there ways in which a lawyer can see what metadata might exist in a document? Absolutely. Um, Actually, that's one of the best things that you can do is kind of know what's in the document. But when you're collaborating with other people, it's kind of hard to know that, you know, what did they put in there. First thing I'd do is when I open the document, I would go to, let's say, the Review tab if you're using some of the later versions of Microsoft Office and look to see if Track Changes is enabled. And if so, you know, are all the changes showing in the document? Or are there comments in the document? Are all the expanded headings expanded? You know, Microsoft has done a really good thing by having something called Document Inspector uh, that can go through and do a cursory look and even remove metadata that's in documents. And that's free. It's already in the software. But some of the other things that I would probably do are just look in Explorer. Check the file properties, for example. Find out what file names this has been stored at and how, if it's tracking how long the document's been edited or created or last printed. Just under File Properties, you can find that information. There's so much metadata that can exist and get attached onto documents that it's kind of mind-boggling, actually. But the free tool, Document Inspector, can help you go a long way in protecting yourself. 
Microsoft has the uh, document inspector, as you mentioned, available under file, check for issues, inspect document. What's the difference between this built-in tool and a third-party tool designed to detect and strip metadata? Great question again. Well, first you have to remember to use it. You know, the, the tool can be really effective, but most of us send documents through email. We don't go in through Word and, and attach our files that way and send them. We either do it through a document management system or through email, attach it, click send, it's gone, and then you're like, oh, metadata. And so usually it's an afterthought, and sometimes people don't think about it at all until it's too late and they've been notified that they've just sent out some information. So you have to remember to use it because it's not automatic and it's not integrated with any third-party tool. And the other thing to remember is that it's not going to detect all of the metadata or things that we might consider metadata. So an example might be you can actually have in later versions of Office, in PowerPoint and Word, you can have an object and you can change the property to make it visible or invisible. It's a little eye icon, which is really strange. And when it's not visible, it's a straight line. But if it's not visible and you can't see it in the document, how do you know it's there? So that's a type of metadata that it might not be able to see. Another one is if you, in let's say PowerPoint for litigation, you have embedded videos or cropped photographs, just to kind of illustrate your point further. You can crop it, and if when you save the file, that cropped part is still available for people to be able to undo and to be able to see it because the picture or video hasn't been compressed yet. And so it doesn't get everything with Document Inspector. It's a good start. And I'd say if you don't have you know, the money to invest in a metadata tool, just make sure you're cleaning everything or looking at everything through Document Inspector. Okay, that's great information on Document Inspector. Before we move on to the rest of the podcast, let's take a quick commercial break. In recent years, the legal sector has come under increasing pressure to improve efficiency and client services. CloudMask enables law firms and solo attorneys to leverage free and low-cost software as a service, such as Google Apps and Office 365, to improve efficiency and client service while reducing costs, strengthening compliance with data privacy laws, and ensuring that ethical duties are met. CloudMask encryption is even certified by 26 governments around the world. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and the rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. Not getting enough cases from the internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com podcast. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is metadata, still a pain point for lawyers. And our guest is Donna Payne, our friend and the CEO and founder of the Payne Group based in Seattle, Washington. Donna, lawyers make so many mistakes with documents, it's ridiculous. But with respect to metadata, what's the most common mistake, do you think? Well, I think the most common mistake that people make is clean it once, forget about it, and then as you're using this file over and over, more metadata gets added. And so cleaning it once isn't enough. You can't just set and forget. You have to go back and be kind of diligent in, um, it's an ongoing process. Um, And just like using metadata tools, it's really important to be aware of kind of current vulnerabilities within documents. And that's hard to do if you're practicing law and you're expected to be a technology expert as well. It's uh, kind of hard, if not impossible. Donna, I once remember taking the contents of a Word document and pasting it into WordPad, knowing I'd lose all my formatting, but sure, I'd lose the metadata at the same time when I copied it out. Jim, um, I'm going to laugh. Did you get the last, when you copied and pasted, did you get the last paragraph mark in the document? Did you copy and paste that? Uh, No, I was aware of that issue, but won't you explain (laughs) that to our listeners? (laughs) That's great. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because when you copy and paste information from one document to another, sometimes the metadata can come along and that last paragraph mark contains the formatting and the header and footer information. And so copying the body of text into a new document container isn't always a a sure thing, especially if text has been redacted improperly. It's funny how those redaction shadings kind of go away when you copy and paste. Really, it's kind of ridiculous how smart we all have to be with technology now just to copy and paste or to, to get a document out the door. Well, I'm glad we took that little detour. I think our listeners will be interested in that, actually. But I've heard of another type of metadata that I wasn't really familiar with called EXIF metadata. Could you speak a little bit about that type of metadata? Oh, I can. Um, that, that's great that you know about this because it's not very well known. EXIF metadata is information that's especially um, useful when you're working with photography and with um, images and things like that. So EXIF metadata can store things like your camera, your camera type, your make and model, the date the picture was taken, all that kind of information. But combining that with the GPS location is really pretty dangerous. If you have a picture, let's say you've taken a picture from your cell phone, and you take a picture and you have GPS location services enabled with your camera, which is on by default, it captures as part of your excess metadata your longitude and latitude, your exact longitude and latitude. So um, I worked with a judge in D.C. who said basically, um, yeah, I really enjoy taking pictures. I'm posting things to the Internet, and I'm taking pictures of my grandchildren. And we looked at her pictures, and she had her exact longitude, latitude, and altitude that were saved with the pictures. And that's not something a judge or anyone else wants to really have happen. You don't want people to know where you live or where they can find you, especially when you're in jobs like that. I actually heard of um, this radio announcer was bragging about his son, um, you know, just being proud that his son served in the military. And then he said, I can't give you the location where he's at because I don't know it because he's currently deployed. 
and he posted this picture up, and the longitude and latitude of where his son was was deployed was available. So those kinds of things are things we have to be careful with. And you might be like, okay, well, you have to be a map expert to you know to find longitude and latitude. All you have to do is go to Google Maps and put that data in there, and it takes you within about 50 feet of the location for the longitude, latitude, and altitude. You know, that data, we, we deal with a lot in digital forensics, and I remember one of the most fascinating stories was how they used that data to find John McAfee when he had a photo of himself posted, and they had his latitude and longitude, and that was the end of him being a person at interest that the authorities could not find. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? You know, it's like the um, for the good causes, it's really good. For the bad causes, <laughs> like let's say your kids are playing in the front yard, And it's just basically, you know, we're so much more vulnerable today than probably in the past because we have to worry about, you know, people looking for and stalking our kids. And and so if there's good and bad for all of this data that's being captured, you know, it's great that we can index it. It's great that we can get data and, and organize, but it's also bad that people become at risk if the wrong people get, get their hands on our metadata. That is for sure. And I'm sure as a a mom, you worry about that. And I'm kind of glad that I, at this stage, am a grandmother. So now I'm worrying about the grandkids and then my girls have survived. (laughs) I got my generation of daughters past this, so they're on their own now. So metadata, you know, we talk about it a lot in terms of one of the things attorneys have to be careful about, but I know there's a certain amount of metadata fatigue after you've spoken for a while about it. So what what different concerns should lawyers have? What else should be on their radar? Oh, uh, first thing is don't click every email that comes in and don't open attachments that you don't know where they came from. That's what we're seeing a lot of. There's so much malware and ransomware attacks. I, I was fortunate enough to go to the Microsoft Digital Crime Unit and I got to see a drill in of where most of the malware exists. And it's everywhere. In my office building in Seattle, it's filled with malware and they're able to tell that just by, you know, through their analytics. But just clicking a file, clicking a link, uh, keystroke logging, all of that, uh, it's having due diligence for, you know, is that really an email I need to open up or is that a link I need to click? If you get hit by a ransomware attack, one of the first things that security agencies recommend is go unplug your server and unplug your laptop and unplug anything that's being infiltrated by it. You know, if it's unplugged, it can't continue to propagate and run and damage is contained or at least kind of mitigated. There are just a few things that you can do like that to kind of mitigate damage and to do damage control on these attacks. One of the things that kind of is one of my pet peeves is connecting to Wi-Fi. You know, we travel a lot. We go to, and we tr- we're such a trusting group for, for what we do. You know, we're a trusting group. We'll go to a hotel, go to the business lounge, and just start checking our email or logging into sites. And there could be keystroke loggers watching what you're doing and capturing your information. I went to a hotel in Chicago once, and I sat down at the business center, And someone had their immigration papers and everything was scanned on the desktop. And it's just kind of mind-boggling that we don't just go in and, and check what we're doing. And, you know, we don't just put thumb drives into our computers without some kind of scanning. Uh, the passwords that we're using. I mean, if we were able to poll people who were listening to this podcast and say, how many of you use the same password for Facebook that you use for your firm's network? 
unfortunately, I think we might get a few um, affirmative responses there. So it's using different passwords, changing them, making sure your network and your security updates are up to date, not using Wi-Fi if possible on in-flight with their Wi-Fi, you know, or shopping on Amazon and or other places and making orders, and really just you know being hyper aware of the dangers that are out there. Because I know you probably have more to say about this, but I thought it was really interesting that over a thousand of the Republican convention attendees connected to a fake wireless or multiple fake wireless networks that was set up by a research company so they could track. They didn't reveal the data, but they could track who was doing what. And 5% of them were playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing, but that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, it is hilarious. I, I loved it. But I mean, look how many of them connected to some of the networks to me. The names were obviously fake, but there they went anyway. Yes, uh, going to, I was at Reagan National not long ago, and there were so many obvious false, you know, it, it wasn't their free Wi-Fi. It was just made up names. And some of them were obvious, like uh, DEA task force, you know, things like that. But um, in looking at it, they were false networks. And I probably interrupted your train of thought. Where were you in in the things we had to look out for? Well, no, actually, I think I got it all out. There's just so much. You know, I went on and on and on about things to look out for, and I probably missed about 40 of them. Um, You know, it's, it's an ongoing process. That's, I guess, the big theme, the overall theme of this is it's an ongoing process, and hackers are coming up with new ways to infiltrate and get information, and lawyers, unfortunately, are a big target right now. Did you have some other products from the Payne Group you wanted to mention to us, Donna? Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, we've been really trying to look at other vulnerabilities and just kind of trying to plug those holes a little bit. We have a product called Outlook Send Assistant, and this is a product that's more of a reminder before you do a gotcha. It's If you say reply all, I mean, how many times have you received a message where the respondent didn't mean to reply all, they meant to reply, but they sent something that shouldn't have been shared with everyone on the distribution list. So it's it's kind of a reminder, a last-ditch effort. It also looks at are you sending things externally or BCCing, and do you want to have special handling so people know that you're BCCing? This is pretty common, um, like a, a product that's used pretty extensively, um, not just in legal, but in government and corporate, especially in banking as well. So that's one of our products. And then the other thing that we've been working on is we have some versions of Redact Assistant. And I was at Legal Tech New York, and one of the judges was saying, I wish we had software where you could redact an Excel document, an Excel spreadsheet, and keep it in its native file format. And so, you know, I looked around and started figuring out this doesn't exist, and it did not. So we created Redact Assistant for Excel and Word, where you can go in and redact uh, either text selection or things that match patterns, like social security numbers, dates of birth, phone numbers, and so forth. It hasn't been announced yet, so you're our first announcer, first reveal, but we just came out with cloud versions of that for Office 365. Uh, And we're trying to make it really affordable because everyone should have these tools. You know, redaction especially, we've been talking about this for a while, but one of the things your listeners might be kind of interested in is if you have text, I was 
talking to ends of the court at one conference and the speaker in front of me said, oh, and if you want to redact something, just put shading over it and change that to be the same color, like turn your black text black and put a box over it. What they didn't realize is if you copy and paste that as text only, it removes all that special formatting and layers on top of your text and everything is exposed. And then, you know, if you go the other route and say, well, I'm going to low-tech this and I'm going to take a magic marker and I'm going to stripe through all of my redacted text, the OCR scanners are so good right now that if you scan something, usually they can, nine times out of ten, they're able to pick up what the text that was that was redacted and you'll be able to see through that. So if you're going to do that, put some whiteout tape or something over it and then scan it. On both sides, put the whiteout tape rather than just marking through it. So these are just a couple of things that we've been working on. And frankly, if we find any more vulnerabilities, we're going to try to either create a free tool or get something that's affordable and get it out there because it's just too hard and there's just too much vulnerabilities now to not do this. So we're kind of doing this, yes, we're for profit, but it's more like how can we help our industry um, get the tools out there and get them in the right hands. Well, we certainly appreciate all the help you've given to the legal profession, and and I'm really glad we had you as a guest because we haven't probably talked in several years, so it's good to catch up even if we're doing it in front of a radio audience. Yes, it's it's definitely a pleasure, and, and I welcome any chance I have to talk to both of you. Okay. We're talking about everything moving to the cloud, including our software and new versions of software. Is that going to change things as far as metadata is concerned? Well, we switched, you know, as we moved from binary file types to the new file types, we actually lost some of the metadata that was um, making us vulnerable before. And I think cloud versions have less of the traditional metadata types. Some of it's exposed now, and so it's not hidden. And um, so I, I think it's just different. And it's really important, I guess even critical, to say that firms have at least an understanding about what type of information can be saved in cloud versions. And it evolves. Cloud versions mean they can be updated every time the software is updated. So we just have to remain vigilant and we can't just set something once and then forget about it. We have to keep just being aware of what's available in our cloud versions of software, whether it's Microsoft or any other type that's available. And I might actually recommend that, you know, if you have someone who can create a checklist of information um, and just kind of a standard for every incoming document, here's what we do with it, and here's our firm policy. And every outgoing document, here's what we do with that document. So just basically a checklist so everyone's on the same page as far as how documents should be handled. Uh, firm policy is a really good idea, and also just stressing that if a document is likely to become part of a litigation matter to retain the metadata. And so really it's cleaning the copies of the file or cleaning files that you're bringing into your repository rather than you know doing something proactively to remove the metadata. Well, we sure want to thank you for being our guest today, Donna. You have such a, a huge wealth of knowledge on this subject. Uh, and I think the Queen of Metadata is an appropriate title, and it should come with purple robes. Uh, but <laughs> I know you've given a lot of good advice to our audience that I hope that they will take to, to heart. So thank you again for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Jim and Sharon. It's absolutely 100% my pleasure. 
And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.